one of the hardest things to do in our walk with God, one of the hardest things to do in life in general is this. To let go. You all have lived enough a life to know that it's filled with uh, letting go of all kinds. Maybe you've had to let go of a dream that was once in your heart and it's become apparent that your path has changed. Maybe you've had to let go of a loved one. I was reminded this morning of when my dad let go of his own dad in a car crash. Now, I remember being at the, the funeral. My dad chose the song, Shout to the Lord. My Jesus, my Savior, Lord, there's none like you. And I remember my dad in the front row, tears in his eyes with his hands in the air. And it was just this visual representation I'll never forget of him saying, God, this hurts me like crazy, but I trust you. I'm walking with you. That was a moment that changed my life, seeing my dad let go of, of his own dad. Letting go of friendships. Maybe you've had to walk that path. Someone that you were once close to and no longer are. Letting go of your own rights. Letting go of your plans. These are some things that the Apostle Paul and his team had to let go of in the book of Acts. And I want to look at a passage at the end of Acts 15 into the beginning of Acts 16. And as we look at how he and his team had to let go of a friendship had to let go of their rights and let go of their plans, what it can teach you and I today about when we come to those moments where we have to let go of someone or something that we've been holding on to. You know, just from an overview of the Bible, this is common to everyone, right? Even God the Father let go of his own son for our salvation. You think about Abraham. God asked him to let go of his own son. Be willing to sacrifice the one that you prayed for so long. Uh, You think of Moses. Let go of being a prince of Egypt and all the glory and power that goes with that so that you can serve me. Even Paul himself, he went by Saul before that. You know that. He was a Pharisee. He was climbing the religious ladder. He was high above all his peers. He was climbing that ladder. And Saul, his name meant desired one. And that's what he was in that group. He was looked after. He was the man. He laid all that aside to become little in the eyes of the world and follow Jesus. Paul means little. Even in his name, he went from being known as the desired one to being the little one in the eyes of the world for the sake of Jesus. He let all that go for Jesus. Ann Landers, the famous one, even said, some people believe holding on and hanging in there are signs of great strength. And often they are. But there are times when it takes much more strength to know when to let go and then do it. And so I want to look at how this played out in Paul's life at the end of chapter 15, uh, verse 36. We're going to look first at how they had to let go of some friendships as they followed God's call in their lives. Verse 36, sometime later... Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. You remember Paul and Barnabas had gone out on a missionary journey for 1,400 miles and they saw tons of Gentiles come to believe in Jesus. They they were a team and Paul wanted to go back. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them 
But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. Now, before we go on to the next verse, you'll remember that. Mark was along with them and he got partway into the journey. He said, I'm done. I'm going back to, to where we started. I'm not going on. And we don't know all the reasons Mark did that. It could have been that the journey just proved to be longer and harder than he thought. It could have been that he didn't like how free Paul was with the gospel towards the Gentiles. We don't know, but for whatever reason, he left. And check out what happens with Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas had such a sharp disagreement. That word, those two words, sharp disagreement, leaves no wondering in our minds if this was just like a calm little conversation. It has the idea of an intense disagreement. They were both provoked in their spirit. They were passionate about their side of it. They, they disagreed about taking Mark. So much so, check this out, that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. Now, interesting thing here, Mark was a cousin of Barnabas, and Cyprus was where Barnabas was from. So Barnabas takes his cousin, and they go back to his homeland, but Paul chose Silas and left. Commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord, he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Paul and Barnabas, close friends in ministry, had to let go of that friendship, or at least the spending of time together as Paul and Barnabas both followed God's call in their lives. We don't know for sure. Was one of them right and one of them wrong? It could be that both of them were right. That Barnabas was right in saying, Mark needs another chance. He should come with me. And that Paul was right and that he would not be ready for the, the journey that Paul was about to go on. We don't know. But the point is, Paul and Barnabas had to go their separate ways. And, and I wonder if you've ever been at that crossroads in your life. Where as you follow God, as you seek his call upon your life, you realize this may cause me to have to let go of a friendship or to let go of spending time with someone. Maybe not the friendship itself, but being with them. I'll list a couple examples in my life and maybe you can, you can relate. When I was late in my teens and early 20s and it became more and more clear that God was calling me into ministry in the church and I was dating Carolyn, who by the way, we... This week was a special week. We met 18 years ago this week on a volleyball court. So that's just flown by like crazy. The, the love of my life, and we, we start dating during that process, and God's will is becoming clear in my life, and we both realized as we talked about God's will, you know what? We got to pray about this and make sure that we share the same vision. You know, I, I knew I was called into ministry. We needed to find out, Carolyn, is this the call of God upon your life to walk this road with me? And as heart-wrenching as that was, if you've ever been in a dating relationship where you're, you're with the love of your life, we knew that God had to come first. And if for some reason she was called into a different path of ministry, not as specifically in the church like I am, that we were going to have to part ways. You talk about heart-wrenching, like taking this precious relationship and saying, God, here it is. Help us sort through this. And make sure that we're both on the same page, have the same call in our lives. And we prayed through that. And thank God to this day that Carolyn, as we prayed through that, was like, yes, this is his call upon my life as well. I want to walk that road of ministering in the church with you. You may have to do that with some people in your life. Maybe they're good people, good people that love God. 
But as you look upon his call and what he's tugging on you to do, you may have to say goodbye to some people that you love. I remember the moment in my parents' living room after we finished Bible college and, and me and Carolyn came back and there, there was that hope, like, hey, maybe there's a chance we'll get to work where our family is, you know? Maybe that's what God's plan is. And I remember how God led and started to open doors in Arizona. And I remember that moment in a circle in my parents' living room with my parents and part of my family there and her parents and part of her family there, all knowing full well that God's will was to go to Arizona and having an excitement and a passion about that, but at the same time feeling this letting go, which, which was hard. We had to let go of those relationships, time with those relationships to follow God's call. Have never regretted it since we love our families and, and they're behind us 100%. But you guys know, there have been moments in your life where you've had to do that. Another example is maybe a little bit stronger. Could be that God's calling you to walk in holiness and you've got a friendship or a close relationship, maybe a friend, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, or a business partner that you've become yoked with. And whenever you're with this person, they tempt you down a path that you know leads you into sin. And whenever you're with that person, that's where it goes, whatever that sin is. There's moments like that where you have to look at God's call upon your life as a believer and separate from that friendship entirely. 2 Corinthians 6 says it this way. For example, if you're dating an unbeliever, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Satan? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What's he saying? He's saying, look, you cannot follow God and continue to enter into sin with that close friend, that person you're dating, that business partner. It doesn't mean you don't love them. It doesn't mean you don't seek to reach them with the truth of Jesus, but it does mean this will no longer be my closest friend. I have to cut this off, painful though it is, for the sake of following my Savior. That's painful stuff. Maybe it's a business partner. You're in a business together and you're a Christian and they're not or they're not walking with the Lord and they have these ideas about cutting costs that involve deceit when it comes to taxes or deceit and how you bill your clients or you, you go on and on. You have to break it off from that friendship to follow God's call in your life. Are there any friendships or time with friends that you need to let go of as you follow God? If you do, how do you do it? Number one, I'd say don't carry bitterness with you as you leave that friendship or leave time with that person. When Paul and Barnabas parted, we know that Paul did not carry any bitterness towards Barnabas. We know this because later on in 1 Corinthians 9, he refers to him as a co-worker in the Lord. This is later on down the path. They go on their separate ways. He says, this is my co-worker in the Lord. He loves Jesus. He's working for him too. He's not like, yeah, I know that Barnabas. I know his name means son of encouragement, but really he's a pansy. He's too much of a wuss to talk to that Mark and, and I want nothing to do with him. You don't get any of that from Paul. You get, this is my co-worker in the Lord. Even Mark, who bailed on Paul's first missionary journey. You see Paul later on writing, Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, you have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. He's telling the church in Colossae, if Mark shows up, welcome him. Bring him in. 
2 Timothy 4.11, get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Somewhere along the way, they got patched up. But do you get the idea that Paul was not carrying bitterness? The second point is keep on serving God when you come to those moments of letting go of a friendship. Barnabas and Mark went to Cyprus. Paul and Silas went on their missionary journey. You say, what? well, are those two random points or what? And they're not random at all. The, the thing is, they go together. Because if Paul had harbored bitterness in his heart, there's no way he could have gone on to be used by God. If you have bitterness in your heart from a, a relationship that you had to let go of, God cannot use you as long as you hold on to that bitterness. Paul said it in his own words in Ephesians 4. He said, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Get rid of all bitterness. And he goes on to give a list of other things to get rid of. What's he saying? He's saying the Holy Spirit wants to flow through you like a hose. And when you have bitterness in your life, you're putting a kink in that hose. And God cannot use you as long as that kink is there. You need to get rid of that bitterness and keep serving God. What about letting go of rights? This is a sensitive one. Nobody likes to talk about letting go of my rights. That's my right to do that. Well, we're going to see how Timothy let go of some of his rights to share the faith. Chapter 16, verse 1. He came to Derby, and then to Lystra where a disciple named Timothy lived whose mother was Jewish and a believer but whose father was a Greek. Now before, before we go on, this, this Timothy, you remember, Paul had been here on his previous journey. He had shared the gospel. This was the city where Paul got stoned, was taken outside the city, and then he walked back in. We believe young Timothy may have seen this courage and this faith. And evidently, Timothy was, was saved during that visit because Paul would write of Timothy later that he was his true son in the faith. And Timothy had a mother and grandmother who believed. Second Timothy 1.5 said, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois, and then your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. So his mother's Jewish. She comes to believe in Jesus, but his father was a Greek. The was there makes us believe his father was dead by this time. But check this out. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey. So check this out. He circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now, if you've been with us the past couple weeks, we just spent a whole week on Acts chapter 15 where Paul argued with the church at Jerusalem, do you have to be circumcised or not to be a Christian? In other words, do you have to follow the whole Jewish law? And Paul's argument was, no, all you have to do to be saved is trust in what Jesus did on the cross. And that was the message they were going to spread on this trip, that you're free in Jesus. You don't have to do all that. So, so that makes sense. But then you get to this and say, what, what's going on with Timothy? He circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Well, in that time, if, if you had a Greek father and a Jewish mother, the Jewish mother's job was to raise her son as a good Jew. And Paul knew that if they were going to be going into Jewish synagogues and talking to people about Jesus, if those people in those synagogues knew full well that Timothy wasn't circumcised, it would become a hindrance 
to sharing the gospel. It would get in the way of sharing the gospel. It would be a stumbling block. So while Paul will fight to the death to say, you do not have to be circumcised to be saved, he's saying if there's anything in your life that gets in the way of sharing the gospel with someone, get rid of it. Lay down, let go of your rights. This was a sacrifice for Timothy. We're obviously not going to go too far into it, but this is at least a teenage young man, maybe a grown man. This is a sacrifice for the sake of the gospel. We have no idea what kind of anesthetic they had back then. This is Timothy literally saying, whatever it takes, I will remove anything from my life that would hinder the gospel of Jesus. And it comes to us and says, all right, do we have that same kind of whatever it takes attitude? Whatever it is in my life that hinders the gospel of Jesus Christ, am I willing to lay it aside? We went through this when I led the college group at the Heights one time. And just to set the, the tone, I'm not a, a teetotaling pastor. I'm not a pastor that preaches you can never enjoy a, a beer or a glass of wine so long as you're not getting drunk and not causing someone else to stumble. I'm not a teetotaler, but we went through a, an instance in our college group where we'd have our, our college group on Sunday night. And afterwards, there would often be a party at someone's house. And people would travel from the group on Sunday night to the party at someone's house. And, and when it went to a particular house, there was usually a cooler of beer there. And most of the people that showed up there were over 21 in that college group. So for a while, I'm wrestling with God like, okay, we got this freedom, obviously. These are over 21 people. Like I said, I'm not a teetotaler. How? So we let it go for a couple weeks. There's a, there's a freedom here. But then I got a letter like three weeks later. A letter from a young man who had come for the first time with his friend who had just got out of an alcohol rehab program. Just got out of it. Just came to Jesus. And he came to one of our parties after he went to our college group and he had too many beers and got drunk. He fell off the wagon at a party after our college group. And so I'm sitting there as a pastor at my desk saying, we've got to do something about this. And, and I went to this passage about Timothy, Timothy and I said, you guys we got to look at this. I'm not telling you what to do on your own time at your own home. You follow the Spirit. But when it comes to parties after our college group, we need to lay aside this freedom for the sake of the greater good. I want, you, I want to show you what happened in a young man's life. And I, I told him, I said, we, we, could, we could argue about holding on to our freedoms and we're free in Christ. And yes, we are, but we need to decide, is our freedom more important than this brother. And we worked through it together and we came to the point that, hey, we're not going to do that. Not because we're not allowed to, but because this young man's destiny, his, his life is, is important to us, more, even more important than our freedom. It could be that you need to lay aside a freedom in a gray area like that. It could be that you need to lay aside your rights to things that really, in all truth, aren't even our rights. We think of our time and our money, and things like that as ours. If you look at life from a biblical perspective, though, we're stewards of what God's given us. We're going to give an account for how we did our, how we spent our time, how we spent our money. But we may need to lay aside some of our rights when it comes to those things to be used by God. Some of us are so busy doing what I want, what my family wants, that we have no time for being used for the, the kingdom. I think about schedule. I think about my friend Wade. 
he and his wife Katie uh, reach out to Indi uh, Native Americans, excuse me, on a South Dakota reservation. And he was, he was on his way home one day. And I don't know about you, when you're on your way home for dinner, man, that's, for me, that's on my brain. I'm, <laughs> I'm hungry. I want to see my family. I want to sit down and eat. Well, he's on his way home, and, and he sees a guy hitchhiking outside of the casino. My friend Wade laid aside his rights to get home and have some time with his family and pulled over it picked this guy up and they got to talking on the road and, and the guy started to share a little bit of his story and Wade just said, hey, do you know the Lord, man? Do you, do you know Jesus in your life? And, and the guy started crying or talk about all the brokenness in his life and right there in my friend Wade's truck, he, he gave his life to the Lord, prayed to embrace Jesus as his Savior and, and it got even better. My friend Wade's not a whacked out uh, whacked out dude. He's solid in the faith. I went to Moody Bible Institute with him, but he said as they're, as they're in the car, the guy that just got saved said, what, what the? And he looked at his hand and Wade's like, what? And the guy said, my hand, my hand has been in pain for years because of some platelet surgeries and other things that I've had. I have no pain in my hand right now. It's gone. And I look at that and say, wow, Look what God did through Wade because he carved out a little bit of his rights, his schedule for the day, and made time to pick up a guy, a hitchhiker, and, and share Jesus with him. There's always stuff to do. But are we going to be willing to say, God, I'll, I'll lay aside what I think is my plan today and, and uh, go with what you got? Whether it's your schedule, your money, what's hindering the gospel? couple verses just to challenge us on this. Hebrews 12, 1. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Obviously, there's things that hinder and there's sin. That means some of the things that hinder in our lives aren't necessarily sin. There's neutral things that become more important to us than God and his kingdom. Some of that stuff we need to throw off. 2 Timothy 2, 4. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. You guys all know soldiers in your family, your friends, that give up civilian rights, like coming home every night and sitting at the table with their family. Rights like kissing their, their kids goodnight before they go to bed. I could go on and on. They do it willingly to serve our country. And what Paul's saying here is, we're in the army of God. And there are things of this world that while they may not be sins, we need to be willing to lay aside to allow more time and resources to advance God's kingdom. One more verse from him. 1 Corinthians 10, 22 through 24. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. When it comes to these question areas of, is there something I need to lay aside, let go of in my life? We don't need to just say, am I allowed to do this? We need to say, is this beneficial? Is this constructive? Is this for the good of others? Mark Driscoll, a uh, man who says things like nobody else I know, says, you're probably allowed to sit down and need a lawnmower. <laughs> The question is, is it really beneficial or constructive for you? There's a lot of things like that in our lives. Is this beneficial? Is it for the good of others? Uh, last one. Sometimes we need to let go of our plans. 
That's a hard one. That is a hard one because we, we, a lot of us are, are planners. Let's, let's look at how this went in, on this missionary journey, 16, 6 through 10. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Persia and Galatia, having been kept, that's a key line there, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. Now I want to show you on a map what's going on here. They're walking through. Uh, they came from Antioch down here at the right. And they went up into what is modern day Turkey. They had visited Derby and Lystra where they picked up Timothy. Then they headed west up into that area where you see Asia and Bithynia crossed out. And they tried to go into Bithynia, and it says the Holy Spirit kept them from getting in. They tried to go to Asia, and the Holy Spirit kept them from getting there. So barring going home, what's the only other option? It leads them straight ahead into Troas. Pretty cool. I want to go back to the verse so you can read it again to see the Holy Spirit's leading in their lives. Kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia... And they tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. God is closing doors to places that they had in mind to go. They tried to go to Asia. They tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit would not allow them. You ever had God close doors in your life? We don't know how he did it in this case. Silas was a prophet, so it could be God spoke through Silas and said, we're not supposed to go here. It could be that he gave them a dream or a vision or just led them all to the same conclusion as they looked at the situation. We don't know, but the Holy Spirit closed those doors and made it clear that the only way to go was straight. I wonder if we're, we're listening as the Holy Spirit does that in our lives. We need to value his leadership, but check out what happens next. Go to 9 and 10. During the night, okay, so he closes two doors. Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. Okay, God gave him two closed doors, and then he gave him some really clear direction in this vision. Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, he got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding he put all the facts together. Okay, this door's closed, this door's closed. I just had a vision to go here. It's coming together. That God has called us to preach the gospel to them. And I want to show you the map here. What they ended up doing from Troas is they crossed the Asian Sea and went over to Macedonia. Now, Paul didn't know this at the time because geographical breakdowns were different. But do you know what the significance of that crossing of that sea was? This was the first time the gospel traveled from what we now know as Asia into Europe. Macedonia is what we now know today as Greece. And most of us in this room were born here in America. We need to look at this moment and say, thank you, God. Because as the gospel spread through Europe, through history into England, and then across the Atlantic to us, God's leadership of Paul right here is directly responsible for the majority of us in this room coming to Jesus. You imagine, like, what if, what if God even had us on his mind? What if he had your name in his mind as Paul crossed that ocean and the gospel began to spread 
through Europe. Now, to be sure, he cared about Asia and Bithynia as well. We know that later Paul would come back to Asia because Ephesus is there. Bithynia in 1 Peter 1.1, Peter said to the saints in Bithynia at the beginning of his letter. So we know the churches were planted there. He cared about that too, but you and I have a direct amount of gratitude that should be tied to God's leadership in our lives. And I think about today, what's this like when God changes our plans? Have you ever had God change your plans? I wonder if Paul was frustrated going through this process ever, like, what is going on? I try to go here, he says no. I try to go here, he says no. When you're in the middle of it, it can be frustrating. Now, looking back, we can see, wow, the gospel spread around the Western world because of what Paul did. He didn't have that luxury. Neither do you and I. But I asked my brother-in-law if I could uh, share a story this morning of how God worked in his life. And maybe you can think of your own examples of how you had to let go of some plans. My, my brother-in-law loves baseball. My brother-in-law grew up playing baseball from the youngest ages. He would pitch in multiple leagues from as early an age as he could. And he was good. And he eventually went to Liberty College where he started on their, their pitching staff. He, he dreamed of being like an Oral Hershiser, you know, who, who could uh, love Jesus and pitch and then after the game share about Jesus to the fans that, that loved baseball and want, needed to hear about Jesus. But as he was in college, his, his shoulder began to give out. His bursitis started to set in and, and it, his pitching got slower and slower and slower to where he had to have surgery. And after the surgery, it just wasn't there. And he talked about having to, to let that go that dream of baseball. And that wasn't easy. But, but God continued to lead him, led him to Pennsylvania where he worked at a fireworks company for a while. And as he was working at this fireworks company, he noticed a restlessness inside. He's looking at the, the account balances and saying, wow, this pay, place pays me really good. I could probably make a living here for the rest of my life and be comfortable, but something's not right. Something's not right. I'm not doing something that I enjoy. I don't feel like I'm bringing glory to God here. It's all about the money. I'm miserable. And somebody came and planted a seed back in Pennsylvania about being a firefighter, helping people. And it, it lit sort of a spark in him. He was reading Wild at Heart at the time. It's a book that challenges men to step out and follow the dreams God puts in their heart. And so he uh, made a visit out here and started checking to Central Yavapai Fire Department. We lived out here at the time, and he came to stay with us for a little bit, and, and he started to get excited, and he let go of this lucrative career in the fireworks factory, came out here by faith, and started working through the classes that he needed to take. Started working at Lifeline Ambulance, and the first day he got to work, he was riding in the ambulance with his now wife, Autumn, who sings up here, and uh, at the time, Autumn didn't know the Lord. And I'll never forget, Stephen came over to my house after he rode in the ambulance with her that day. And he said, is God messing with me? He's like, I met this girl today. She's cute, she's funny, but she doesn't know the Lord. And I know I can't, I can't date her because of that. Is God messing with me? And as we talked in the driveway, he, he knew. He, he, he just came to his conclusion that I, I need to be faithful to God. 
I need to be willing to let this relationship go. And so his plan leaving my driveway was, I'm going to share the gospel with her full on, tell her where I stand with Jesus. And he was fully prepared for her to walk away. This guy's crazy, whatever. (laughs) So he shares the gospel with her, tells her where he stands with Jesus and what Jesus had done for him on the cross, and that he did that for her. And, And it was later that week, she says she was out on a hammock looking at the stars and what Stephen had shared with her started to sink in through the Holy Spirit. And she gave her life to Jesus Christ. She, she believed in him. And uh, within a matter of days, they, they began dating, began uh, just growing in their relationship, got engaged, got married. And you know, you see them here serving today on the worship team. They got two beautiful kids. And I just look at that and, and Stephen would tell you if he was here, and I share this with his permission, just it was hard to let go of some of those plants. But God has a good plan in store for his kids. Even as we let go, we need to hold on to that. That he, He's got things in mind that we can't even see. So I wonder, are there any plans that you need to let go of? Any plans that you need to say, I trust you, God. I trust you. In conclusion, I just want to drive it home to say, We don't have a savior that says, you guys do this, but I know nothing about it. You guys let go of things, but I'll just stay here coldly removed from that whole circumstance. We serve a savior who let it all go for you and I. So if you're looking for a motivation to say, is this Jesus really worth it? Letting go of a friendship if I have to, or time with a loved one, letting go of my rights, letting go of my plans. Listen to what Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2 have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. You talk about letting go of something. He let go of his glory. Let go of the use of much of his power and was humbled to die on a cross in our place. But look what came after. Verse 9, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, through letting go of what was rightfully his, submitting to his Father's will, the Father brought him to the resurrection. And glory. He had a good plan for his son. And he makes a similar promise to us. Mark 8. Calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. You try to hold on to things that God wants you to let go of, you're going to lose your life. You're going to lose the very things you're after. 
Whoever will save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. One more, Mark 10. Peter's talking. He said, Lord, we've left everything for you. And Jesus says, truly I tell you, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields. And he's honest, along with persecutions. But in the age to come, eternal life. One of my favorite songs by Audio Adrenaline said it this way. You took my dreams and stole my schemes and turned my life upside down. You took my heart, stole every part, and made it a miracle. What is it we need to let go of this morning? Lord, I thank you for this word. This is not always an easy word. It's encouraging to know that even Paul and Barnabas and Luke and guys like that had to let go of stuff. They could relate with us as as you tug us in our lives to to let go of things for your kingdom. Uh, God, I pray that your spirit would lead us. If there's anybody in this room that, that needs to let go of a friendship or time with someone this morning, that you'd give them the courage and boldness to do so. Uh, Father, I pray if there's anyone that needs to lay aside a right, something in their life that may be okay on paper, but it's just getting in the way of sharing your gospel with somebody, causing someone else to stumble. Uh, God, help us to put their rights in, in your kingdom above our own, our time, our schedule, finances. Lord, if there's anybody in here with plans, plans that you are in the process of changing, give them the grace and trust to let go. And trust being the big word there, knowing that when we let go for you and your kingdom, the things you have in store are so much better than anything we could have cooked up. God, I believe that with all my heart. Make, make your will clear to each one of us in each of our situations. Lord, even as we take our offering this morning, I pray that it would be for your kingdom, for your glory, that we would give with grateful hearts that that let go and trust, uh, Lord, not out of obligation or anything else, Lord, but just thankful for what you will do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.